This morning, let's open our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel. We're going to be looking at the sixth chapter for the next couple of weeks. I would like to read just through the first uh, 15 verses of this. So let's just take a look at it. Jesus, during the, we call this the Beatitudes, chapters 5 through 7, he gave this um, declaration, if you will, in this area that you see on the screen, right on the western shore of the Galilee, we call it the Mount of Beatitudes. And Jesus, speaking to the disciples there, we're going to pick up in in chapter 6, notice what he says, he says, take heed that you do not your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, And your father, see, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. So in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, we thank you for this passage today, and Lord, we are um, in awe of it, Lord. There has been such a misunderstanding of these passages that we have just read for, for quite a long time. And Lord, we pray that you would just open our hearts and open our ears to hear what you would have to say to us today and next week, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the challenges for the church, I believe, in in any age is really just an awareness of God. Because we can be so preoccupied about the externals and what other people think about our walk with Christ that we forget that God is more concerned about the true reality of our faith in him. And see, the thing is, is we we don't see him, so it's easy to dismiss him because, you know, we understand that he's a a God of grace and love and he understands everything and we get that, but we we, we find we we can spend extra energy in making sure that at least someone 
who we are trying to impress that they see or hear some great benevolent thing that we did. Whether we have given to the church financially or given to this ministry, helped this person out, whatever it may be, but God is more concerned with what we do and think when no one else is around. Does that register? He's more concerned about the private place, the secret place that we're to meet with him. Because it's in our hearts is where nobody can see. We look at each other and we can size each other up. We ought not to do that, but we do that, but we can't see the heart. We don't see what's inside, but only God can see what is inside. And it's been said that the true mark of our walk with the Lord is who we are and what we do when no one is around or watching, when we are off the grid, so to speak, when there is little or no accountability around. Our decisions, our thoughts at times like these prove who we really are. So God is more concerned with what happens in the secret place. Psalm 91 is one of my favorite psalms, and it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my, ju- he is my refuge and my fortress, my God and Him I will trust. I love this when you think about it. I mean, who is going to bother you? No, notice what it says. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, if you're dwelling in him, then you will dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. And if you are there and the shadow of the Almighty is covering you, who is going to mess with you? Is there anything big enough to rattle you or, 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 or take control over you or, or do something outside of God's will? If you are abiding under the shadow of the Almighty? No, there isn't. And I would encourage you to remember that wherever you are standing on this earth, remember there is a very large shadow covering you. Especially if you are abiding in Christ. Especially if you are abiding in Him. Now look at the verse here and you can see this uh, in this verse the choice that is made and then the promise that God puts forth. It seems to be put forth as a conditional promise, doesn't it? If you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, then you shall abide under the shadow of the, of the Almighty. So if you dwell in the secret place, you will enjoy the benefits of God's covering, His blessing and His protection. And if you are covered in his shadow, who is able to touch you? No one. No one can touch you. But the alternate is true as well, isn't it? If you could care less about abiding in the secret place, then you will not be under his covering. And then you will have stepped out in your own energy and in your, in your own flesh. And you will be a sitting duck for the enemy. Now God is gracious. We know that. And he's always... His grace is always in operation, even in the life of a wayward child of God, but we put ourselves in a dangerous place when we are no longer abiding in him. So let me ask the question, what happens in your secret place? Do you have a secret place? Is there a location that you can escape to where it's just you and God, nothing else? There's no phone, there's no television, there's no other distraction, no kids, nothing. And perhaps in your life you're saying, well, I don't have a a quiet place at all. I don't have a secret place. Well, what do you do? 
when you don't have a quiet place? Well, you make one. What do you mean, make one? Let me share with you uh, about a woman named Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of John Wesley and Charles Wesley and eight other children. And what she used to do, a, a very busy, busy, busy mother... And what she would do is she would take her apron at times when she had all of her kids around and she would take her apron and she would stick it over her head and she would tell the kids and they would know that when mom puts the apron over her head, that's her quiet time with Jesus. That's her secret place. And you think about that. And moms, for those of you who have raised kids, you know how busy that life can be. But that's what she would do. She would do that. And that the Bible tells us to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And it's hard to pray without ceasing if you're always confined to one place or one posture. Have you ever gotten into a rut where it's only one place, it's only one posture that you get into? And if you don't get into that one place or that one posture, you really don't feel like you're really praying. Well, you have to kind of get beyond that because um, to pray without ceasing, you will need to be flexible with your environment, with your life. If Paul exhorts us by the Spirit of God to pray without ceasing, that means that I need to be able to do it anywhere and everywhere, even while I'm driving on 490. But for heaven's sake, keep your eyes open. Can you pray with your eyes open? Wouldn't that be great to go down, you know, after a church service, many of you are going south or, you know, north on 590 and people are driving by and they're just like, Lord, take the wheel. And people have all got their eyes closed. It'd be, it'd be kind of an interesting uh, event. But do you have a secret place? We've looked in chapter 5. Jesus was obviously bringing attention to this internal reality of our walk with the Lord rather than just the externals. And he posed this, uh, this, by, posed this idea by this statement. He says, you've heard that it was said of old, but I say unto you. And with this phrase, Jesus is saying, you've heard of the letter of the law. You've heard of the letter of the law and the outward observance, but I want to get to the heart of the matter, the spirit of the law, the internal reality, the fountainhead, really, from which everything gets expressed in the natural. He wants to get to the heart of it, not just the externals. That, that's a default. The externals are the default setting for the Christian But God wants to go even further, and he's been talking about this throughout this whole thing that we've been looking at in the Beatitudes. And he's going to do the same thing here as we get into this model prayer. But I want to give you a secret. Here's a secret. If you fix the internal, the external will follow suit. What does it tell us in Matthew's gospel? Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit... And Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, he says, Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. So it's true, isn't it? What is within ultimately manifests itself outward. And see, that's why we see a world in such trouble. 
Because there is a small remnant on earth right now that are truly born-again believers, and they have the Spirit of God in them, but we have the majority of the world that is doing exactly this. Because their inward heart attitude is so corrupted and dead and evil, is it any surprise that we see what we see? That's why Jesus said you must be born again. There has to be a new nature within you to take over. That old nature is dead. That old nature is given to sin. It was born in sin. It knows nothing more to do than to continue sinning. But ah, the Spirit of God, when it comes into you, when he comes into you, changes you. And from the inside out, we begin to blossom like a, like a seed that's planted. You can't see what seed, what kind of fruit it is when you look at the seed, but you, you plant the seed, you cover it up, you water it, and you fertilize it, and you wait patiently, and then you see a little sprout. And then you see it get a little bit bigger, and then another sprout. And then you find out, wow, that's a, that's a, that's a beautiful tree. Or that's a beautiful fruit. Same thing with us. What's coming out of you? Notice what it says in verse 1. Jesus says, Take heed that you do not your charitable deeds before men. Notice, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, I don't believe this means that if someone unbeknownst to you sees or hears about some good deed that you've done, that you will lose your reward. It's not about that at all, but it is about the motivation of our hearts. And it's important uh, that regardless of who sees or who hears, that we do the right thing, no matter what. And God knows, because here's the deal. You could, you could be doing it very simply and very nonchalantly, your deed, whatever it is, and everybody could be watching you, but your heart intention is not to be watched. In fact, maybe you set out to do something kind of incognito and, and somebody blows you in and everybody knows about it, but your inward heart is like, Lord, I didn't, really didn't mean for this to happen. Guess what? Do you think God knows that? Do you think you're going to lose your reward because somebody you know, got on their cell phone and started texting somebody and they show up to whatever you're doing or whatever? No, we don't need to worry about that because God knows our hearts. Man doesn't know. We don't know each other's heart, and we don't need to worry and try to figure out each other's hearts. That's a futile effort. We're not qualified to look into the heart of another human being and know for sure what's motivating them or why they do what they do. But notice he says, take heed that you do not your charitable deeds before men. Notice, to be seen by them. That's the, that's the phrase. To be seen by them. If that's your motivation, then that's a whole other matter. But notice what he says. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Yes, there's going to be rewards. And honestly, I don't know that it, it may not mean a big deal to you, but there is a reward that we will receive after the rapture of the church and the Bible calls it the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. It's not a judgment for believers in the sense of whether you're going to heaven or hell. It's a judgment for believers. What have we done in this body since we have known Christ? Those are the things that will be judged. We'll be in glory. Thank you, Jesus. But there will be rewards or lack of rewards based on those things that we do. So is what we do right now, is it important as believers? You better believe it is. And God was going to reward us for that. 
Isn't that amazing? He first puts it inside of us. He gives us the right heart to do it. And then we step out in faith and do it. And then he rewards us for it. It almost doesn't seem fair. Because it didn't even originate from me. It's by his spirit that he does these things. And that's why, folks, when we get to glory, he gives us those crowns. (laughs) We're going to take those off at some point. We're going to lay them at his feet as worship and say, Lord, we could have never, we would have never have been like this. We would have never dreamed to do anything like this had it not been for your spirit working in me. And Lord, I know that and I get it. And to you be the glory. And that is a wonderful worship. But these things that we do, we, we are accountable for our words and our actions especially as believers. And you've said, uh, you've heard me say these scriptures a lot, and I don't apologize for that at all because it's something we need to be aware of. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, Paul to the Corinthians says, for we must all be, um, uh, appear before the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ, that each of us may receive the things done in the body according to what Uh, He has done, whether good or bad. In 1 Corinthians 3, it gets a little more specific. According to the grace of God, which was was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it, but let each one take how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones... Wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. That day is the day of the Lord, which includes the rapture, which includes this bema seat judgment. It will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, all of these deeds, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. Notice, he's not going to be, if his reward is not received, or, or if it's not worthy of receiving a reward, it doesn't mean you're going to be booted out of heaven. Aren't you glad? But I think, folks, that when we get to glory, and we're going to see, it's, it's going to change everything. And I hope that we can somehow get this into our hearts now, that we would live lives above reproach, that we would live lives holy unto Christ, that we would live lives that glorify him, that glorify him. If anyone's work he has built on endures, he will receive award. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. Notice, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. So that's called getting in by the skin of your chinny, chin, chin. Now, I hope that I have rewards. I hope you do too. But you know what? If everything got burnt up and, I, and everything I did on the earth was in my flesh, but I believed in Christ, I believed in his, you know, his atoning work for me, his blood on the cross and all of that, and I just got there by the skin of my teeth, I'm going to rejoice. But I think my joy could be much fuller because I think when we allow him to do and work in us, we're going to be so happy. It's going to be a joy unlike anything else because now we're offering back to him what he did in us. And what does it do? It brings glory to him. And I think it's going to be a lot, mean a lot more to us then than perhaps it does right now. And that's why I want to encourage you to walk the walk. Walk the walk, talk the talk, but walk the walk. 
Verse 2, it says in our text, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may glorify, that they may get, have glory from men. Excuse me. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. In Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus, uh, it says that, uh, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and he saw how people put money into the treasury and that many there were that were rich that put in much. And then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which uh, makes a quadrains. And so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor woman has put in more than all of those who have given to the treasury. For they all have put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. And so here are these rich men dropping you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, but they've got millions, and it's really nothing for them. But God looks and says, that's all fine and good, but I'm really interested in this woman who is, doesn't have anything. And she's putting in what she has. See, our perspective is so different. And would to God that we had the mind of God like that. Because we're so enamored. We're so impressed by the externals. Oh, he gave 100000 He gave a 200 He can't believe how much money he gave to the church or gave to this foundation or whatever it is. And God is saying, I'm not really impressed with that, especially if their heart is wrong. If their heart is great, wonderful. There's nothing wrong with doing good things if it is a good thing. And if their motivation is right. In Matthew 23, as Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, it says the scribes, Jesus said, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. (laughs) For they say, and they do not do. They bind heavy burdens hard to bear, lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all of the works that they do is to be seen by men. And this word, this uh, verb, seen by men, is literally a verb. It's called theomai, which is where we get our English word theater from. It's 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 to behold or contemplate, to look at somebody with ad, ad you know ad, admiration. Excuse me. Turn with me to Acts chapter four. We're going to look at an interesting thing here in the New Testament. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. This was after Pentecost. And notice what it says. Now the multitudes of those who believe were of one heart and one soul... Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now notice that this was not compulsory, but they did these things out of the kindness and the love of their heart. It was a work of the Spirit of God. This was not the beginning of communism. Someone has said that this is where communism started. No, it's not. Because communism is not compulsory. It is, actually. It's compulsory. But this is something people did to help out those in their, in their, in their sphere of influence, their, the believers. 
Because wherever communism on this, uh, on this earth is, it's always been corrupted, it's always been a corruption, and has always led to atheism and a control of the masses by a few of the powerful elites. Sounds kind of similar, doesn't it, what's going on in our country right now. But going on in verse 33, it says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there any among them who lacked, for they all were, who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and they brought the proceeds, notice, of the things that were sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and then they distributed to each as everyone had need. Notice it was a work of, of the Spirit of God. It wasn't compulsory. There wasn't a government behind this forcing people to do this. And Joses, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? So why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. And his wife came in and she corroborated the story and she fell dead as well. The implication here is that Barnabas sold the amount and he gave it to the fellowship of believers and for it to be distributed as people had need. But Ananias and Sapphira, seeing what he had done and the admiration, perhaps, that was coming to Barnabas' way, maybe they heard about it, they were thinking, well, we can be pillars in the community as well. So they sell a property, but they keep back part of the price. And so it's not the fact that they kept back part of the price. The thing is, they lied about it. They said, we're going to give all of this, but secretly they were keeping back some of it. So now they were under this pretense that they were doing some great and wonderful benevolent thing when actuality they were lying to everybody. And see, God didn't care whether they kept part of it back. That's why Paul, that's why, um, you know, it says there that while you had it wasn't your own, you, you know, couldn't you just quietly given a portion of it? But it was giving a portion and then telling everybody, we're giving it all. We're giving it all to Jesus, surrendering it all to Jesus, when really, in reality, you kept back half of it because you don't trust the Lord, or maybe you're just greedy. See, God doesn't care. He doesn't need, he didn't need the money. He's more concerned about the heart. And again, the motivation of the heart. And that's what Jesus is talking about here when he is talking about giving your charitable gifts to do it with simplicity, to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And he goes on in verse 2 there and he says, you know, don't do, you know, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. And this is often the case when somebody donates a large sum of money to a school or to a hospital or university and their name is all over the building and even the street leading up to this glorious edifice that they have built, Kellogg University. You can get there by going on Kellogg Boulevard. Right up to the front door, Kellogg, Kellogg Boulevard, to Kellogg University. 
the Kellogg School of Shenanigans, which I have the founder and, the, and I have a doctorate in it myself, the School of Shenanigans. But some people give, don't they? They give and they give simply and they don't care about the name on the building. Other people, it's required and necessary. But if that's the attitude of our heart, then we've received all the reward we're going to get. And did you know that most of the hospitals, the greatest hospitals in our country, the institutions and all these things, originally they were donated by Christians. Some of the best institutions in this country were started by born-again believers and they don't have their names all over the buildings. I mean, uh, the, they, they can do whatever they want, but when the person gave the money, you know, they were just like, hey, I don't care what you do with it. You need a building? You need help in this, you know, for the, the children's wing of the, of the hospital? I got, you know, $15 billion that I'm going to donate and put in, a, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, fund that they can draw on, some endowment. But it's important as believers that when we give, we give simp- simply. And with simplicity, we don't do it to be seen by men. And in our culture today, that is really difficult because secretly we want the praise. Especially if it's an act of worship. Especially if it really costs you something to give. The more it costs you, the more you want people to understand that, man, I did a lot to get that. And I sweat by the sweat of my chinny-chin-chin for years and years, and I gave it to the church. (sighs) And you see people, and it's like, well, why don't you just give it back to them? If you're that angry about it, if 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 you're that frustrated, but, you know, to give with a cheerful heart. Doesn't the Bible say the Lord loves a cheerful giver? To give without it being some kind of compulsory? There should never be any compulsory giving in the church. That's why we don't mention money except when it comes up in the context of the scripture. I don't mention money. I really don't like to, to be honest with you, but a healthy church will give. I mean, that's true. Because everything that we see is supported by your tithes and offerings. The school that we're going to begin next October or next September, that's going to be, um, you know, a portion of that's going to come from us. But it's how we give. And what's my heart attitude in it? But notice in verse 3, but when you do a charitable deed. Notice, not if, but when you do your charitable deed. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, and um, you know, in Ephesians it tells us, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember, we don't do good things to earn God's favor, rather we do good things because we, because we already have his favor and his spirit is working in us to be a blessing to others. So we don't do anything to earn his favor. Guess what? The moment you got on your knees and confessed your sin before God and received him, you have his favor. It's that simple. I don't have to add on to it to somehow get God to love me more. No, God loved his only only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he loved the son, believe me. He loves the son and he gave him to be the propitiation, to be the uh, one who would atone for our sin. He loved him very much. But he gave it. In Galatians, what does it tell us? Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh, 
will of the flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not be weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. It is sometimes you get weary in well-doing, and the Lord understands that. But you know what? Never give up doing good, because one day you will receive a, a reward. And believe me, actually don't believe me, believe the word of God that it's going to mean more to you then than it will ever right now. It may seem like a, I know it's going to happen, Lord, but I, I just don't feel it yet. That's okay. Don't worry about your emotions and your feelings. They lie to you. <laughs> Anybody know that? Your feelings and emotions, they lie to you. Let's repeat that. Feelings lie to me. One more time. Feelings lie to me. They can, and they often do. We can get a lot of trouble by following our feelings rather than being under control of the Spirit of God. Isn't that a fruit of the Spirit? Self-control? But yet you see believers who are completely out of control, they're like the Tasmanian devil on steroids, and they wonder why their life is a mess. It's like, well, has God, have you given him control over this temper of yours? Have you given him control over this impetuous nature of yours? Is that part of your life crucified or is it not? And then we have to go before the throne and say, Lord, I'm just not quite there yet. And God is like, okay, I know it's very obvious, by the way, the angels told me. Of course, God knows. But he's willing to work with you if you're willing to submit your heart to him. But do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The right hand, biblically, is always the one that is expressed as excellence. It's, it's, it's the hand that is holy or set apart. It's the hand of strength. And this phrase just literally means to give with simplicity and discretion, not being concerned whether anyone knows about it or not. And that's a really wonderful way to live because you will be rewarded later. Notice in verse 4, that your charitable deed may be done in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And this is always the way God would like us to operate because it is sincere, isn't it? When we operate in that way, there's a sincerity, there's an honesty. And what is it? But it's a true barometer of our relationship with him. Because when I do something simply and I do it without, being, without the intention of being seen or heard, God is pleased with that. He's pleased with that. So how about you? Do you have a secret place? Is there a place that you can run to? Is there a place that you go to? I think some of the sweetest fellowship that you'll ever have is when you're wounded and you're hurt and you go into your bedroom and no one's around or find a place and you just are crying out to God. You're filling your pillow with tears, filling up the side of your bed with tears and you're crying out to the Lord. And he hears every single prayer. 
And one thing I've known about the Lord is when I go into my secret place and I'm sincere and I'm desperate, he always shows up. The Lord is especially open to your desperate heart. Anybody this morning have a desperate heart? Maybe things that you're going that are going on in your life and your family personally, and not to mention all the external things that seem to be going so crazy and there's just such turmoil. Where is your secret place? Is Jesus your secret place? Where do you find your solace? Do you find it at the end of a bottle? Do you find it in going shopping instead? Do you find it in calling a good friend and just talking on the phone about your feelings? And all of those things in and of themselves are not evil. But are you going to go and abide? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you, is it a place of permanence? Is it a place of, is it home base to you? Or is it just something you add on to your life? It's so important for us today, folks, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here because I'm looking at the clock, and we're going to get into the, the real nuts and bolts of this next week. But find your secret place. And it may not necessarily be a physical location because, again, the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. And if that's the case, if I'm to be praying without ceasing, then I must be able to do this anytime, anywhere, regardless of my situation, my circumstances. And that's true. You can be operating a forklift and be in your secret place. You can be at the bedside of somebody who is dying and administering to them care, and you can still be in your secret place because your heart is, Lord, help me to help this person. Lord, help me to know how to speak to this person. You, your secret place can be anywhere, but do you know you have one? Have you tried it out? Are you one of those people like uh, Brother Lawrence, who I've heard of, he was a monk who who practiced the presence of God. I mean, he, he had an understanding that God was always present with him, but he would live his life as if God was really there with him. And, and isn't that the truth anyway? But he lived his life. Now, this may be a little extreme for some of you, and it is for me, I'll be honest with you, but he would actually, every decision he would make, he, would, he, he got to the point where he's like, Lord, should I do this next thing? And he would wait. Isn't that amazing? I'm not saying you have to do that. That's just something he put his heart to. But you know what? He always knew that God was with him. And God is with us. I mean, he's Emmanuel or he is not. If he's Emmanuel, that means he's God with us. So I don't need to, to, to genuflect and get into a certain position on my knees and, and bow you know, three times or seven times toward Jerusalem. I don't need to close my eyes. I don't need to hold the rosary, for heaven's sakes. I don't need to bow before the bathtub in the backyard with the statue of Mary in it. I don't have to do any of those things. I can simply go before the Lord while I'm driving a car. Now, are there times where you have that 
quiet time? Yes. And, and, and foster those moments. Take care of those moments. Do those things. Find a quiet place because you need it. Trust me. You and I need to find a quiet place somewhere. Go in your basement. Get behind the, the stairway in the basement. Put a little chair down there. Clear the area out. Get all the dirty clothes next to the washer. Push them all away so you can sit there with your chair. Find a quiet place and spend time with your heavenly Father. And as you talk to him and what he sees you do in secret, he will reward you openly. But do we believe that? I mean, really. And, and that's, that's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it, but in your heart, yes. Do we really believe that? We are living, folks, in a time that I believe is the most critical in all of our existence. Seriously, I, I believe that with all my heart. In church history, and I also believe in our country. In church history, we are getting close to the end. I don't know if you've been, had your eyes open, but we're seeing things come to pass that the Bible's been telling us about for a very long time, and now everything is starting to line up, and we're going, oh my goodness. Folks, it's happening. Now is the time, church. Now is the time. We need to wake up. We need to really put on our, our walking shoes and say, Lord, I want to walk with you, and I want to put away all of this stuff of the flesh. I want to put all these things away that are, are a distraction to me, and I want to get real with you. I want to be real with you. I want to be real with my family. I want to tell them how much I love them. I want to serve my family. Guys, I want to serve my family. I don't want to take more time away from my home by working overtime and overtime and overtime and spending 70, 80 hours of, at, at work and not having any time to spend with my family at all. Now is the time we really need to re-examine everything because church history is coming to a close. I believe it with all my heart. It wouldn't surprise me very soon if the Lord doesn't take us out of here. Not because we're America and we're going through a difficult time. Don't get me wrong. Because guess what? Globally, these things are happening. It's not just the United States. Do you follow me? Globally, these things are happening. And that ought to open our ears and our hearts as, as believers in Christ, as the church. That is what should open our eyes and what we see happening in Jerusalem. That's the most important thing. But all these things are getting set up and they're falling into place very nicely and God is in control. Don't ever forget that. Klaus Schwab is not in control. Donald Trump is not in control. Joe Biden is not in control. And certainly Gavin Newsom is not in control. Nancy Pelosi is not in control. Chuck Schumer's not in control. Kathy Hochul is not in control. Thank you, Jesus. May God save their souls. I mean that. But God is in control. Right? We believe it. Right? We don't like what's going on, but he's in control. So globally, we see everything, the pieces coming together. That ought to awaken us right now. And I don't need to stomp my feet. I don't need to speak louder. But I implore you, seriously, now is the time. More than ever. I'm speaking from my heart to yours. Now is the time. We really need to put our feet in it. 
and we really need to get serious in our walk with Christ. We don't have a lot of time left, and there's a lot of people that don't know him, and there's a lot of work that he's got to do in this heart, and there's a lot of work that he's got to do in your hearts as well. Will you be engaged? Will you be a prayerful people? Folks, let's pray unlike we've ever prayed before. Seriously, join us. I don't want to shame anybody, but we have a prayer service here on Tuesday evening at 7. And I don't want to shame you into asking you to come. I'd rather have five prayer warriors there at that prayer meeting than 500 people who really don't care. They, they just show up because they feel guilty inside. Hey, listen, we don't need guilt. We don't need to be motivated by guilt. That's religion. If you feel guilty and you do something, you might as well just not do it. But rather, pray, God, open my heart and, and, and change me. That would be better than for you to do anything led by guilt. Don't do anything by guilt because that's your flesh and it's the enemy and it's, it doesn't work very long. You may last for a little bit, but it's a flash in the pan. But trust me, when God is birthing it in your heart, it's not a chore. It's not a, a problem. It's not a, even a sacrifice. It's like, I want to be in prayer. And whether you pray here or at home, but please pray. Pray for the body of Christ. Every one of you are struggling in some way, myself included. We're struggling. We got issues. We got things going on. We need to be interceding for each other instead of just praying for my, you know, my hot water heater or my furnace that blew out. You know, those things are all fine and good, but we need to intercede for each other again and really ask God to supply our needs and really love each other. Really love each other and take care of each other the best we can. Time is short. We're getting so close. I don't know the time. But I'm looking around and I'm going, Lord, I can't believe you haven't come already. You may say, well, the church has been saying that for years. Yeah, they have. But globally, and the things that we're seeing right now, that we've never seen this before. And even in our own country, we've never, ever seen what's happening right now. So we better, I implore you to open your eyes. Open your eyes, open your heart, and say, God, you got me. I want to do all that you want me to do. I don't want to play games. I don't want to do anything motivated by guilt. I want to do things because you have birthed it in me and because I love you. I want to do it because I love you. I don't want to do it because I, I'm compelled to. No, there can be no compulsion. It's not worth it. Manipulation is not the way to go. Next week, we will look at this model prayer, and it's so good for us to look at this afresh. And I'm really looking forward to it. I was hoping to get into it today, but if I started it, we'd have to stop it. So I'm going to wait until next week. But let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we... Lord, we're very thankful, Lord, that you love us the way you do. Lord, you've shown yourself strong on our behalf. Lord, you've done so many things. Lord, for 
all of us who are Christians in this room, and hopefully all of us, Lord, you have spared us from an eternity separated from you, Lord. What, what can we say to that? Lord, I, I, I don't even know what to, how to respond to that, even now. But Lord, such as it is, I, I, along with my brothers and sisters, Lord, we give our lives back to you again afresh, Lord. Whatever is in us, Lord, that is resisting this, this walk with you, that is resisting this, being this, this life of sanctification, of being set apart, Lord, would you remove those things, whatever they are, at least make, them, make us aware of them, and maybe we're already aware of them, but Lord, help us to be strong in this time that we're living, God. We need right hearts. I need a right heart. Lord, this world needs to see a church that is sold out for Christ. They don't need to see a church that's just waving an American flag and is Republican. There's nothing wrong with that either, God, but you know there's a bigger thing going on here. A much, much bigger, more important even. Not that the other isn't important, but Lord, so much more important. Would you please get a hold of us this week? And Lord, I pray for your blessing on my brothers and sisters, Lord. They have been through so much, some more than others. And even now, Lord, there's some visiting relatives in the hospital right now from things that have happened even this morning, Lord. Would you please cover us all in your grace? Cover us all in your mercy, Lord. Would you love us to the uttermost, Lord? Would you, be, would you work in our hearts so that we're willing to be loved, Lord, and that we're not putting our hand out, not receiving your love, God? regardless of our performance, regardless of how we might have blown it this week or even this morning, Lord, can we come before you and say, Lord, you know all these things and you don't beat us over the head with these things. You love us unconditionally, Lord. When we are in Christ, there's nothing that you wouldn't do for us according to your will. So Lord, would you encourage us today and strengthen our faith and help us to walk in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.